Today's sponsor is EveryPlate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that they were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, EveryPlate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste, you know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. Every plate helps me do just that. Simple, stress-free recipes come together in just six steps and are ready in about 30 minutes or less. You can choose between 17 recipes that change every week and swap proteins and sides to your liking, so you can switch up dinner routines however you want. Every plate helps me experience more of my favorite things in life by saving me time and money, which means more money towards vacations, concerts, the list goes on. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Today's episode is sponsored by Somavetic. Somavetic is a device that combines an Eastern approach to health and wellness with modern day technology. If you have a lot of devices in your home, as most of us do, then there are hundreds of signals floating through the air at any given moment. This is called EMF, and some people are really sensitive to it and believe that it can cause some not great things in the body as a result of all of these free radicals bouncing around. If you're concerned with the unwanted influences of electromagnetic radiation or geopathic zones, you'll appreciate Somavetic. Somavetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. It does this through the controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. It creates a 360-degree field with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. The founder of Somavetic launched these devices in 2011 as a response to his own ongoing health struggles. After years of no success with Western medicine, he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and found a variety of healing properties with stones and minerals. After some time, he was able to heal his body and has helped others as well, and his experience inspired him to create Somavetic. If you're interested in mitigating EMFs and creating a harmonic field in your environment, these devices are a great solution, and they are beautiful. Each device is comprised of their own semi-precious stones with unique properties. Somavetic is a small company, and all products are handmade and hand-assembled in their Crystal Valley, in the Crystal Valley of the Czech Republic. If you want to try Somavetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit somavetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hey, everyone. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, and maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. Hey guys, well on today's episode, we're going to be talking with author Nicole Lynn Lewis on community care 
for young moms. She was a teen mom and she has kind of dedicated her career to helping other teen moms. I know we've talked quite a bit on the show about how community care is an aspect of self-care. And I think you will find it an interesting conversation, whether you were a teen mom or no one, or just are interested in empowering women in general. Um, And then BJ and I are talking about emotional labor and gender and why we find so many women carrying such a bigger load um, around the emotional and care tasks of the house. Uh, But first, we're going to do a check-in with Rue. Hey, Rue. Hey, Kristen, how are you? How is your self-care? Well, my self-care is going well. I am feeling like I am coming out of, you know, the fog of the pandemic. And it's, it's hard to talk about because, you know, we're watching people in India really struggling. We're Mm. seeing people around the world still, you know, adults still waiting for their first dose. Um, And so, you know, it's, I want to, I want to kind of preface all of that with saying that I recognize the inherent privilege in this, but my kids have now all gotten the first dose of the vaccine. Oh, yay. (sighs) Yeah. Which just feels like, wow, like it, you know, it feels like we are uh, for us, not the whole world, but for us, you know, we are slowly moving back to some normalcy. I let, I let some other kids spend the night at my house this weekend. We've had other kids in our house for the first time in almost a year. Cause we were, you know, we were the party house. We were the house where all the kids came and hung out, which there's, you know, good and bad aspects to that. It's also sure. exhausting. Um, but it just, it's interesting. It feels like we're, you know, with the kids finally vaccinated, we can, you know, we can go back to some of the things that we were more accustomed to. Yeah, that's great. I, um, my eldest got vaccinated. The nice. other two are under 12. So yeah. they, ha- they, they haven't. And it was really, it was really neat because we had made the appointment. And for my appointment, I walked in, got the shot, waited 15 minutes, walked out. Same both times, super, mm-hmm. super fast. And I think because there were so many of us that just wanted to get our kids vaccinated, there were probably, and we had all, oh, wow. we all had appointments. It was, it was long. It was, you know, and, it, it's um no one was complaining you know totally i mean uh, i think anyone who showed up you know in those first few days of them announcing kids eligibility we were the parents that were like please <laughs> like yes yes <laughs> please hurry and we were probably the ones that were sitting at home <laughs> so now it's uh it's interesting because we have people in our lives that are not getting vaccinated and i have kids that are under 12 and that puts us in a a rough spot, right? Like the CDC said um, this past week that if you are vaccinated, you can be indoors and outdoors without mm-hmm. a mask. And it kind of, it kind of feels a little like the CDC said, "Hey, f those kids." <laughs> like there's yeah. no, there was no other conversation for kids under twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I recognize. I saw that. You know, let's say I, I am vaccinated. Let's say I get COVID. I'm a breakthrough case. The likelihood is that would be so, 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 like, I I would not get very sick. I would be asymptomatic at best. And I wouldn't have enough viral load to shed and infect my kids, Mm -hmm. in theory. Mm -hmm. Most likely. And yet, yes. And yet, I wish that it it really felt like such, like, it really felt like that day was a big, wow, you know, COVID is ending. But 
there's an entire population of kids who can't get vaccinated. I know. Well, and I mean, the messaging, you know, it was tough because it was like that messaging was for people who've had the vaccine. And then, of course, what immediately happened is people who don't have the vaccine, who have been angry, who've been wanting to argue, took that as their cue to take up arms. And so, you know, we, my boyfriend's daughter, she's 18. She works in a bagel shop. Very next day, you know, she's got a guy coming in, doesn't wear his mask. Can you please put your mask on? Because our California businesses still have a mask mandate. We have right. it until June. Um, and the guy just yelled at her, yelled at her, you know, didn't you hear the CDC and blah, 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 blah. So I do worry that, you know, it's like I want to celebrate the, you know, that we're moving forward. But at the same time, I fear that the people that will be punished are the people who work in food service. Right. Or businesses that are now going to be yelled at by someone who probably doesn't have the vaccine in the first place. Right. So my uh, best friend is the executive director of a library. And it has been a struggle just to get people to come to the library and stay masked. And they have all these protocols. They have extra masks and they have Mm -hmm. hand sanitizer stations and they do all these different things. And she said the second within the hour, people were coming in with no masks, even though our state still has a mask mandate. Mm -hmm. So it was really confusing. I wish I wish it had been word phrased in such a way that was not almost like burr, 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 no masks anymore. You know, it felt it felt strange. And you know, um I, I'm going now I am going to I'm going to criticize the president for President Biden to say, look, this is the rule. If you don't want to wear your mask, just get vaccinated. Yeah, that's not how it's going to work. You can't enforce someone to get vaccinated or you know, you can't enforce someone to show that they're vaccinated or not and then have them you know wear a mask or not what's just people right. are just it's aren't not wearing masks yeah. right it's not it's it's not how this works so the idea that it's supposed to incentivize people to get vaccinated is laughable to me no i don't think it will incentivize people in fact i mean quite the opposite i think that they're thinking like sweet i don't have to wear a mask anymore why would i get like and I don't have to get the vaccine. Like, I'm getting everything I want. Right, right, precisely. So uh, that, you know, I did find that irritating. I still find it a bit stressful. Um, but the news that I am likely not going to pass it to my kids, you know, that that felt better. And yes. honestly, getting my eldest vaccinated, I mean, she obviously still has five weeks to go till she's fully vaxxed. Yeah. Um, and then my second my second oldest, my second kid, she'll turn 12 in February. And hopefully there will be um, – vaccinations for the younger set by then but mm-hmm. i'm like well at the latest at yeah. least in you know x amount of months she'll be vaxxed so yeah. but yeah i feel for, i feel for the parents i had tweeted something like um the whole panda the pandemic is over for everyone except for kids under 12 feels like the start of a dystopian ya novel um because it does a little bit i but, know but i am otherwise otherwise i can feel like i feel more glimmers of hope yeah I feel more glimmers of hope. I feel less panic. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we're looking towards a more normal summer. The kids are doing sports. They're doing plays. You know, the things that make us feel like we're (laughs) participating in humanity instead of, you know, last summer. Last summer was pretty bleak. (laughs) Yeah. Last summer was rough. I do. I will say it felt like this weekend I could be for my kids, like, fun mom again. And, Uh you know – setting up like play dates and like we did uh-huh. uh outside nerf nerf gun war with you know a, a bunch of kids and it was you know outdoors we felt good about that and we uh 
Um, we went to get, you know, iced chai from Starbucks and just all these things. And I was, I was like, some days I give myself like a B minus in momming. And this weekend it was like A pluses three yeah. days in a row, which means I can skate the next two weeks. Oh, yeah. Um, you don't but even I, have to it talk felt, to them. You don't even yeah. have to cook now. <laughs> it felt so good to just do stuff. Yeah. And let, and say yes to stuff. And it was, it was so, um, my youngest, uh, is nine and it's been really over a year since she's had a play date with a friend. Um, because outside is hard and, you know, anyway, she cried. She mm. cried. You know, she was just so full of, um, like emotion. So she yeah. just, yeah, she, she cried and it was, it was very sweet and she was very happy, but it's been a lot of big emotions around this. Well, one thing I do want to do, you know, it's so, it's so interesting because the end of the pandemic is going to be a real slow roll, you know, and because, you know, it, it will, you know, some of us will get vaccinated. Some people in your family won't be yet. There's still countries that are still totally dealing with devastation. Um, but I've just been trying to think, like, how do I kind of signify for my family a little closure around it? And I think once my kids have their second vaccine, we as a family might do some kind of a, you know, I I mean, it's cheesy, but like, a, you know, what did you learn during the pandemic? And what, you know, what are you taking away from it? And what was the worst part? And what was the best part? Just some kind of like an exercise of writing down our experience to look back on. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like we need to have a, a capsule. Right? But it's like when you don't, you know, I don't know when you do that. Because like I said, I mean, it's the end the end of the pandemic is just such a different, it's it's a different marker for everyone, you know? Yeah, I think that I am just trying to ease them into normalcy. Like I yeah. signed my kids up for like different camps this summer, which they did not get to do last year. Yeah, me um, too. And, you know, it feels so, it feels good. It feels, it feels good. And there are certain things that I don't want to go back to pre-pandemic. Like I think the pandemic ta- taught us all a lot about oh, ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, and so there are certain things that I want to keep doing because, you know, over the past year, my girls really got, I feel, I feel like they grew closer to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater or whatever yeah. idiom makes the most sense. Totally. Um, but it does feel, it just feels, it, it, it feels good. And I don't know how to commemorate it. Maybe like a backyard barbecue with sparklers or something. I know, right? Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm going to think about that. I have a couple of weeks before we get there. Well, what do you have for two thumbs up this week? Ooh, okay. I have two thumbs up. Okay. So I have been uh, rearranging my kids' rooms and I have been moving, moving around a lot more, which is good. I wanted to do that. Um, and I have found that I make a noise when I bend over now. <laughs> <laughs> to pick something up off the ground. I'm like, wait, this is this is new. Like I, I just make these involuntary mm-hmm. grunts now as I'm That's like bending fun. over and picking things up. Um anyway, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I do know how I feel about it. I feel strange, like I should not be making like it's not that dramatic. I should be able to, you know, bend with my knees. Point is, I have I've, – I've owned this, but I'm bringing this up again because I think it's so important. It's just a foam roller. Get a basic – don't get the super expensive one. A basic – actually, Amazon Basics has a, a foam roller. And it's very, very good. And if you're the kind of person that doesn't like yoga or you don't have the patience for it or you don't 
which I can be sometimes, foam rolling, it's like it stretches and massages and it maybe it's anecdotal, but it feels it feels good at the end of the night or yeah. in the morning, just as like a little you can put on a little music, you know, as your coffee's brewing. And sometimes I will just foam roll on my kitchen floor next to my coffee machine while I'm waiting for it to brew. <laughs> so I recommend this, especially if you're feeling achy or if you make noises or if you're the kind of person instead of getting out of bed, you like have to sit for a second. Yes. <laughs> Well, you mean you're basically giving yourself your own massage, kind of. Yes, yes. And I think many of us are probably touch-deprived. I Do you think you'll get a massage soon? I do. I actually got a gift certificate, and I do think I will get a massage soon. I actually have a gift certificate for Burke Williams. I have not been there in ages. I love that place. Do you have Burke Williams where you are? No, I don't know what that is. Um, it's just, you know, a lovely, lovely spa, and they've got – I like getting a massage at a place where, like, you can you can hang out before and after. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yes. Like, you really yes. get your money's worth. Like, there is so Brooke Williams. They have like a hot tub, and they have a saw, a sauna, and a spa, and shower rooms. I, I will stretch it into an entire day, as you should. Yes. Yes. So yes, I'm excited about that. So I want to get a massage, but I don't want them. So. First of all, I don't want to wear a mask while getting a massage because your yeah. face is already stuffed into that thing. So as long as, you know, I'm vaccinated and they feel good about it, then I can take my mask off. But I also uh, – I don't want a massage if someone's wearing latex gloves. <gasps> oh, no. No, no, no. Because They're not it's, doing it's, that, it's like, are they? Well – are they? I don't Maybe. Know. I think so. Because I've had to get my nails done and they came over and did the little massage. Like they do everything with latex gloves. And even the person that comes over to rub my shoulders, like put on latex gloves oh, first. Wow. And, and then I even like anything done. So I don't even know. I guess so. Even tried to put like the lotion on the back of my neck with latex oh, no. gloves mm-hmm. on it. And it felt super, mm-hmm. super weird. Mm-hmm. So I want to wait until it's like no more latex gloves. Ooh, yeah, I do too. I'll have to call over. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a jerk, but like, yeah, I think I'll wait for that too. <laughs> Otherwise, doesn't it feel like you're getting massaged by like a slimy balloon? Uh, or by a condom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. Yeah. Um, okay. So my other two thumbs up is uh, I am – this year is like my year of sunscreen. It was last year too, I will say, because I am trying to be very good about um, – you know, my skin. Yeah. And we can buy all the things and do all the Botox and whatever, but – you can you just undo it all if you don't wear sunscreen. So Absolutely. I spend more money on sunscreen than I do any other facial product at this point. And I've been trying to layer it a little bit. So now if I wear eyeshadow, I try to find like an eyeshadow with SPF or mm. a blush, also a blush with SPF. And if you want to try that, you can start with um, like a tinted lip balm. And I like that very much because sometimes stuff that's moisturizing is not SPF, right? You know what I mean? Like SPF isn't necessarily inherently moisturizing. So it's the Sun Bum Tinted Lip Balm, and it comes in a bunch of pretty colors. And they're super cheap. So you just buy a bunch, stick them in your bag. Oh my gosh, they're six bucks. Yes. I love this brand, but I've never tried this. Yes, you should try it. And I was reading a statistic, and I will quote it poorly, but the amount of women who get lip cancer versus men, it's it's very – there's a large disparity because women wear lipstick. 
You know what I mean? So oh, it's, it's good to protect your lips. Yeah. yeah. So the sun, bum, the sun Bum Tinted Lip Balm is nice. And there's you can get pricier stuff too. Like I think Supergoop does an eyeshadow and color science, color e-science, whatever, does a, a blush. But I would like to see more of these because I like I like to layer on the SPF now. Ooh, yes, I like that. I'm gonna so how that. about you? What is what's on your two thumbs up for the week? Okay, well I have <laughs> I have started wearing foundation. Do you wear foundation? I do when I, there's a camera in front of me. Otherwise, I do tinted moisturizer. Tell me about yeah, your foundation. I did not wear foundation. I was more of a powder girl. I would just put a powder on. But then I just as I'm doing my skincare, I'm just like, I really want to be lazy and I want one thing. I want one thing, like a moisturizer. That's a, that's a skin, you know, like a foundation that's going to even everything out. So I, um, actually when I was in San Francisco, I went into like a green beauty store and found this EXA foundation and it's like, it's like a skin treatment foundation. So it has higher, 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 why can I never say this one? Hyaluronic. Hyaluronic acid. It has that in it. It has maki berry. Um, it has microalgae. So it's like it's like a moisturizer, but it's it's like a foundation too. It's not just like a tinted moisturizer. It's buildable, you know. Oh, that's it's, nice. It's got good coverage. And I've actually been really liking it. I, you know, I think, I don't know. I I always just never wanted to wear foundation because I'm like, oh, I don't, you know. My skin is my skin, but I don't know. As I'm getting older, I'm like, yeah, I'm just even things out a little bit. It, I love the packaging. Is the packaging nice in person uh, too? Yeah, it's in a glass bottle. It's really, I mean, it's expensive. It's spendy, um, mm. but a little goes a long way. And it does feel very luxurious, I will say. it's. It feels like it's spendy. I um, will, I also like that the shades are so inclusive. Yeah. They have so yeah. many different shades. They really do. In fact, I, I mean, it was funny to go into a real makeup store because I hadn't been in one in so long. Um, but I was like, I need a professional to tell me the shade, you know? Right. Um, but I couldn't believe how many shades they had. They really yeah, did. They had like, it was really pretty. all the way up. Yeah. Um, there yeah, are some, impressed. there are some, um, even for me, and I'm, I wouldn't call myself brown. I mean, I, I guess I'm beige, mm-hmm. you know, and I have yellow undertones and there are some, makeup lines that I can't even go to at all because it's uh it's such a pink undertone or it oxidizes mm-hmm. and goes orange. So I love I love supporting any makeup brand that considers melanin. Yeah. Um, I agree. Cool. What else do you, what else do you have? Um and then my other one is a collagen drink. I've been trying to drink collagen every day because it's good for your gut. I've been trying to do some gut healing. That's <laughs> As we've had, you know, we've had a number of guests on talking about that importance. So I've been doing collagen and I found one that I really like because it also has other supplements. So it's kind of like a one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this one is called Immune Maximizer Plus. Um, it's by Nutra Collagen, but it has the collagen and then it also has zinc. It also has vitamin C. Um, so I like that I can just take the one thing and feel like I've, you know, kind of covered a number of things at once. Oh, and it has elderberry too. That's nice. It has elderberry. It has digestive enzymes. Um, so yeah, it's it's got a, a lot of good immune support in addition to the collagen. Riddle me this. What does it taste like? Okay. I think all collagen tastes like garbage. Just... Y- yes. Just... Yes. Yeah. I mean, it it's... 
it's gelatinous, you know, I mean, it's yeah. just by its very nature. I mean, I like how we say collagen, but like, it's gross. I mean, it's, it's bovine collagen, like, from right. <laughs> Um, well, when people say that, like, you know, vital proteins doesn't taste like anything, it tastes like bone broth. I feel like I yeah. put, just put bro- bone broth in my coffee. So I, I had one scoop and then, you know, never again. Well, I this one, I don't mind. I, I have to put it in a drink. So I usually put it, I will either mix it into a matcha tea that's heated. I mean, the, the key really to taking collagen, I think, is you you have to blend it. You can't just stir it. Oh. Like you've got to – so if I u- if I do a matcha, I use one of those matcha whisks um, or I'll put it in my coffee and use a little um, stick blender. Like a – like a not a blender, like a frother. You're gonna, you, you froth the bovine. I froth, I froth the bovine collagen. <laughs> so gross. And there is a little mind over matter for me. I don't actually eat beef. Um, I don't eat anything from a cow. So, yeah, there's a little – yeah, I, I have to put it in something. Sure, sure. Now I get taste it. From the beginning. <laughs> We've talked a lot about skincare on the show and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology-grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist-formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription, if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So With two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. 
The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blade cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral, but what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white, pastel, neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their cloud shave foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. Today's episode is sponsored by Usual Wines. Usual Wines are wines for the modern drinker. They make single-serving wines in adorable glass bottles. Each bottle is 6.3 ounces, which is a heavy pour or about a glass and a half of wine. It's ideal for when you don't want to open a whole bottle or when you're in a group setting or on a date and you want different varieties of wines. Because of the single-serve format and the bottle design, Usual is always fresh. No more flat, bubbly, or stale wine. They're great for travel, great for girls' nights or date nights, and they are perfect for gifts. Usual Wines has several varieties. They have a red blend, a rosé, which is my personal favorite, and a sparkling white wine. They're made from world-class AVAs in California, like Napa, Sonoma, and they're made with minimal intervention, so there's zero sugar and zero additives. They also have a usual spritz, which is a low-alcohol, low-calorie wine spritzer made of sparkling wine juice and guava juice. It's a classy option for those of us who like seltzers. Each serving has just 83 calories. And the wines are low-carb with zero grams of sugar. You can check out their website at www.usualwines.com and you can use our discount code SELFIE for $8 off your first order and your first glass on us. That's code SELFIE at usualwines.com for $8 off your first order. Today we have the pleasure to be chatting with Nicole Lynn Lewis. She is the author of the new book, Pregnant Girl, a story of teen motherhood, college, and creating a better future for young families. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Well, I'm excited to chat with you too. Your book touches on a lot of topics that were relevant in my own family of origin. My sister had a baby at age 16. Mm. Um, and so I know that you are, um, you're sharing your story, um, you know, both to tell your own story and then also just to help us better understand young motherhood and, and how we can 
help women who are in that position achieve their dreams. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your own background and where you found yourself when you were a teenager? Yeah. So today I am a mom of, of four and mm-hmm. soon to be five, uh, <laughs> a social entrepreneur. Uh, I founded a nonprofit organization called Generation Hope about uh, 11 years ago and have been working to grow that organization with a really phenomenal team. And that organization's mission is really connected to my own story of, of being a teen mom myself. I got pregnant my senior year of high school. And even though I was a really strong student, honor roll, college bound, I heard the same messages that many young women hear in that situation, which is your life is over. You're not going to go to college. You're not going to be successful. And uh, I decided, you know, I think I knew even then that education was probably the best promise for me to be able to provide, you know, for my daughter and give her the life that I really wanted her to have. And so it was incredibly difficult just getting to college, but I started at William and Mary when she was a little under three months old. And, um, you know, that experience of, of working my way through college and being a new mother with few resources really influenced, uh, the work that I do today. Yeah. And your story is just incredible that you, you know, you really got yourself through college kind of on your own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, there wasn't a support system or any sort of program or structure in place uh, at, at my school to support, you know, students who were parenting like me. Um, I, I see that even across the higher ed spectrum today, you know, we do not have a higher ed system that's really supportive of, mm-hmm. of parents and caregivers in making sure that they make it to the graduation stage. So it was a daily act of survival, you know, just focused mm-hmm. on getting through the next 24 hours. How do I, you know, get food on the table for both my daughter and I. Childcare was always so difficult. We know that childcare is difficult, you know, no matter how old you are. Uh, but, uh, particularly for young parents, it's, it seems impossible to find affordable, reliable, reliable childcare. Um, and so, so, you know, those were the daily kind of obstacles that I was constantly trying to overcome as a young mother, in addition to, you know, going to a prestigious school and trying to make sure that I made good grades and, and was able to graduate. Yeah, you, um, you know, you're doing so much work now in helping teen moms. And there's a statistic that less than 2% of teen moms will earn their degrees before the age of 30. How can we help change that statistic? Well, I think there's, there are things that all of us can do no matter, you know, who we are, what position we're in. We all have an ability to kind of change the narrative around what's possible for young parents. And there's such a stigma and such a negative, um, a stereotype, you know, that we put on young men and women who find themselves in this situation. And, and that stigma really confines what, what is possible for them. I think we can all start to really think differently about the potential of young parents and, uh, doing something to remove barriers for this population is within our grasp. Each and every one of us, you may know of a, a young parent in your church, in your community, in your neighborhood. Uh, there may be a nonprofit organization that serves this population. Population. And so how can you help to really change the way that we respond and, and support young parents? And I think all of us have the ability to do that. Um, the fact that less than 2% are graduating from college and less than 50% even graduate from
from high school really indicates that we have some real work to do in our education systems um, and even in our social service systems that uh, will will help to kind of address some of these real sinkholes and and incredible hurdles that have been created for young parents to actually be successful. Um, so I think it starts with helping people to see that there is incredible potential in these young people and making sure that we're all doing something to foster that potential. Absolutely. If you know, people are listening and thinking like, wow, I really, you know, I have a heart for young moms. I'd really love to dive in and help. Where would they, where would they start? Well, I think, um, like I said, you know, many communities have uh, initiatives or ministries and churches or nonprofit organizations that mm-hmm. are are working to help young parents in some way. It might be housing. It might be uh, providing them with, um, uh, you know, those tangible items that they might need, diapers, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so that's always a good place to start. Generation Hope, my organization, we help teen moms and dads earn their college degrees, primarily in the D.C. area, but we're also now advocating for parenting college students all across the country. Um, And we have different opportunities for people to get involved. Even if you're not in the D.C. region, you can, uh, for example, tutor one of our scholars virtually. Uh, So there are opportunities for people to even get involved with Generation Hope, and we'd love uh, to have people do that. I love it. How does poverty play into this? And how do do we um, help kind of equalize the barriers for for people who are coming without a lot of economic privilege as a young mom? Poverty plays a huge role. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, what I'm hoping people gather from my book, Pregnant Girl, is that there are so many underlying issues that contribute to teen pregnancy um, that happen and are in the lives of young people way before those two pink lines show up. Mm -hmm. And we have to really start talking about and addressing and prioritizing um, those, those kind of underlying issues if we want to make sure that, that we're preventing teen pregnancy. Um, but also if we want to make sure that we're helping those young people who do experience a pregnancy be successful. Poverty is huge. Um, I think we've all been conditioned to believe that teen pregnancy causes poverty. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that, um, poverty causes teen pregnancy. Mm. And, and, um, you know, if we're going to make real advances when it comes to young people, we have to come to terms with that. Um, at Generation Hope, you know, we're helping young people uh, who are parents and who have overcome incredible obstacles way before their pregnancy. We have scholars in our program who grew up in foster care, who grew up in extreme poverty, sleeping on couches and, and people's floors and in shelters. They may have lost their parents to substance abuse or incarceration. And, you know, these are the things that people don't want to talk about, uh, but they're the reality that's happening out there for so many young people. Mm -hmm. And the pregnancy is often just a symptom of those underlying issues. Yeah. When I was, when I was in college, I worked at a group home um, for older foster youth and the group home was specifically for young moms. And so we Mm. had girls, you know, age 14 to 18, um, with, with their babies. And, you know, I can just attest that it was absolutely just a symptom of, you know, the setting that they were in. And Mm -hmm. if they did not receive intervention, you know, a a lot of those girls were on track to then have their own kids enter the foster system. And so, Mm. you know, it's just, it's, um, it's something that I think we as a society really need to pour into, you know, so that, so that girls are able to raise their own babies and succeed and, and, you know, stop that cycle of kids entering the system. 
Yeah. And I think we often, you know, we talk about um, these issues in silos, like we'll talk about homeless youth, and we'll mm. talk about, mm-hmm. you know, foster care youth, That's and we'll so talk true. about, you know, um, all of these kind of issues that we care about, but we don't talk about mm-hmm. um, who might be at the center of these issues and what, you know, what happens when you, when you are experiencing, for example, trauma in your childhood, um, even, even race and the role that race plays. I mean, teen pregnancy uh, is more common in communities of color. And I think we're having this national conversation mm-hmm around race and racial oppression in this country, but we're not connecting it mm-hmm. to these issues that we all care about. So we have to stop talking about things in these silos and start really making the connections that will lead to solutions. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Talk more, if, if you don't mind, about the race connection for those who maybe don't understand how how those things are connected. Yeah, I, I, you know, um, teen pregnancy, uh, young women from communities of color are more likely to become teen mothers. For example, um, black uh, young women are twice as likely uh, to become teen mothers than their white counterparts. So we're seeing in these communities where opportunities have been historically limited, um, you know, black and brown youth, uh, black indigenous and Latinx communities in particular, uh, where there have been real opportunities cut off uh, for these young people, you'll also find that they have higher rates of teen pregnancy in this mm-hmm. in these communities. And so, uh, you know, I often tell people that teen, if you're working to prevent teen pregnancy or doing anything with young parents, and you're not talking about race, then you're missing the mark. Yeah. And, you know, this is really an opportunity. I think there's a moment in this country right now for us to um, really begin to talk about it and face some of the things that um, we don't really, you know, historically we haven't wanted to face and kind Mm -hmm. of come to terms with, but it is very interconnected with the story of teen pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, um, I just, I think that there are a lot of people that also feel passionate about being pro-life or passionate about orphan care. And really, you know, this is a, a big part of all of that too, is supporting young moms. Like that's really where that starts. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is that if, you know, um, this is really about family and, Mm -hmm. and if people are passionate about families, Mm -hmm. you know, we have an opportunity to really rally around families, um, that these young families that Mm -hmm. honestly people tend to just rip the rug right out from under them. Um, so I think if we care about families and we care about how, uh, the little ones do, you know, how are they going to be set up for success? Then we have to start really supporting, um, young parents and making sure that they're successful in their education. And that's kind of a missing piece in all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What can what can educational institutions do to make an education, a college education, more accessible? There are a lot of things uh, at the higher ed level. You know, for one thing, I think it's really important for uh, higher ed professionals to just recognize that there is a whole population of students out there who are parents who are highly motivated to earn a post-secondary credential and they're ready, you know, they're ready to go to school. They're ready to be successful. The system is just not set up for them. And so what kind of transformations need to take place within higher ed to really be better equipped to serve these students? We know that when parenting students come into colleges and universities, 
universities, they actually have higher GPAs than their non-parenting peers, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, as parents, we're all highly motivated to do the best that we can for our kids. And so they're coming in highly motivated. They're assets to any community that they come into, but yet they're 10 times less likely to graduate. And that really speaks to the fact that, again, you know, institutions are not set up to really make sure that they're successful. So some basic things that we'd like to see institutions start doing is just tracking the parenting status of their students. So by and large, institutions have no idea how many students on their campus campuses are raising children or care mm. providing caregiving. And, you know, if you don't measure something, you don't prioritize it. Uh Um, So this is really an invisible population. It's about one in five undergraduate students across the country. But at any given time, a college or university really has no idea who on their campus is parenting and what their needs are. So that's one basic thing. Another thing that I often talk to schools about is I'll say, you know, what are you doing around your student parent work? And they'll say, oh, we have a child care center. We've checked that box. And we really want to encourage institutions to think about using a student parent lens across all of their services, financial aid, um, enrollment and admissions, even facilities and making sure there are things like diaper changing stations and lactation rooms. Mm. So really helping you know schools to think more broadly about what could a family-friendly campus really look like. Yeah, I love that. Well, um, where can people learn more about Generation Hope and what you guys are doing? Yeah, they can visit us at generationhope.org. We're also on social media, on Instagram at supportgenhope and on Twitter at supportgenhope. And we'd love to continue the conversation. Absolutely. And then where can people find your book that just went on sale about a week ago? Is that right? Yes, yes. It's exciting to have Pregnant Girl yeah, <laughs> out into the world. Um, uh, they can find it anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite local independent bookstore, um, anywhere books are sold, you can, you can pick it up right now. Fantastic. And we will obviously link up to the book and Generation Hope in our show notes as well for people who are looking. Nicole, thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Today, BJ and I wanted to talk about another topic that is often discussed in our Facebook community group, which is the division of labor and the difference between the emotional load for women versus men who are in partnerships. BJ, talk to me a little bit about what you see and hear from clients and even from people you know in regards to this inequities. I'm telling you this topic has surrounded me. Yeah constantly in the last few months. Yeah. And it's been a topic of conversation in our own marriage. Yeah. Um, I've always, you know, I grew up in a time literally um, and in a, in a religious system and an environment in the South where I had absolutely no aspirations to go to college, have a career. I thought not only was the most noble thing I could do was be a mom and a wife, but the only thing God approved of was for me to be a, ho- a homemaker and I'm a mom and that's it. So I grew up believing women had responsibilities that were different from men. And it wasn't long after I got married that I realized that really did not fit with who I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as I came into myself as an adult, I really expected more. 
Um, and yet my husband was the primary breadwinner. I did end up working. I moved to California. We didn't have much option. We pretty much need a two income family to survive. And, um, but I still, my life acquiesced to his, I had opportunities to do things vocally as the as an, as a vocalist, um, for a career. I didn't even pursue them because my husband was in ministry and his life, his career was a calling on our life. Um, I remember standing up in our church service when we were still in Texas in the church. We, our first job in ministry was in the church that we grew up in. And I remember standing up about a year after sometime in the first year of our, our time there on church staff in a testimonial meeting and saying, if you told me a year ago, I'd be one of the youth directors. I didn't even use the word pastor, one of the youth directors of this church. And I don't know what I said next, but at the end of the service, I got called into the pastor's office and reprimanded for calling myself a youth director. I was oh the gosh. director's wife. So this was so indoctrinated into me, but there was a part of me that always rebelled against it on some level. And then there was a part of me that just completely accepted it. And so there was very much a, a division of labor in a lot of ways. But then at the same time, we kind of broke some of the norms. David is a housekeeper. He loves to clean house. It's therapeutic to him. So he always helped out in that way. Um, he's my only, he is the housekeeper now. I don't do any of the housekeeping. He does all the dishes and all the floors and all the things. Um, but he started doing his own laundry at a certain time. And then when my kids got old enough, they started doing theirs. And so we did divide labor in some interesting ways that weren't typical. But at this time in our lives, about 11 years ago, my husband had a relapse after 20 something years of sobriety. And he was, he lost his, his job in that relapse. Um, and though he ended up working again in the field temporarily, and then in other things later, and now he's got a different career of his own, his ability to earn has been greatly diminished. And now I make exponentially more than he does. Um, and yet I still carry a lot of, the, the labor of running our lives, paying the bills, managing the finances, both for our businesses and for our personal life. Um, he doesn't cook at all. So if, especially in the pandemic, when I've been forced to cook that more than I've ever cooked, if we ate a meal that wasn't takeout, I had to cook it. Um, there's just a lot of things that he's not capable of. He is he has intentionally learned things this year so that he could take the burden away from me as much as possible. And that's the conversations we've had to have, but it is everywhere. I turn this topic keeps coming forward because universally, even in homes where both where both people in the couple have always had high powered careers, the wife still ends up doing more. Mm -hmm. And then our world, our work culture doesn't support anything differently than from that anyway. No, and it so doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because in my marriage, we started out thinking we'd be egalitarian. 
And while I think we both would have stated that as a value, it just didn't bear out. And I think that's what a lot of women are dealing with. Like the husband will say, yeah, we're equal. I'll, I'll do an equal amount, but their radar is off. And I think for some, it's that they weren't raised doing any of that stuff. So it wasn't on their radar. They were watching their own parents live out these same norms. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, some of it is societal and, and how we've been raised. Um, But I just think that we are in a really weird sandwich generation um, where couples are trying to be egalitarian. Women have the right to go to work and many of them do, but men have not been socialized. And I, and I, I hate to sound like negative or pessimistic here, but I just, I, I feel like retraining this generation of men feels almost impossible. So we have to do it with our sons. Like that's how it will be fixed. Absolutely. I, you know, I really feel that way about so many things. And the, the truth of the matter is the generations where it will be fixed, our sons and, and our grandchildren are, they're eager to do it differently including the boys and the men and they're open to it. And so I do think, I think on their own, it's going to change. And I think we have an opportunity to really guide them towards that in order for it to be more systemic in the way it changes. I don't think it's possible. I think you look at the things we've experienced politically that have shown a light on, on men in general, white men, in particular, mm-hmm. and where we sit in our country around e- egalitarian everything, with race, with politics, with everything. This this is a wash. <laughs> we're not going to change my generation for sure. And we're not going to have a, a strong change in your generation. But the ones that come in behind you, my grandchildren and your children, are, I believe, are going to make great changes in these things. I think the hardest part is what to do with it now. How do couples navigate this and try to change it within their own family systems? Because I don't think that's impossible. And I think it takes, it, it's not going to be easy. I, I mean, I look at us and we're trying really hard at it and we're just, it's just going to always be a little bit, it, not just a little bit. There's all, we're probably at about 80 to 20 and I don't have any hope we'll ever get past 70, 30 at best. And, you know, but I, at the same time, I also want to say it's worth trying. Like, absolutely. I don't want anyone to hear us be like, being like, well, there's nothing we can do. Like you should no, try. You, can. you should buy some is... books. You should seek mm-hmm. some therapy. Like, you know, I think a lot of this is it's not on men's radar, And it needs to be. And so, you know, what documentaries do you need to watch? What books do you need to read together? Um, Conversations do you need to have? What flowcharts do you need to create and schedules (laughs) and, you know, and and marking out division of labor? Um, Because unfortunately, you know, I think for, for women, it sucks because we do carry the emotional load, which means we're thinking about it. Um, but we do have to learn how to speak and delegate if, if, if they are not thinking about those things and they do need us to make a list. Yes, that sucks, but we need to make the list. So we're not doing it all ourselves. And 
you will be frustrated and you will stumble and bumble all the way through it and, and struggle, but keep doing the struggle. I, <laughs> this, we had this exact conversation about the list. If you'll just make me a list. Okay. We made a Google key. Now he's got it on his phone. If I change it on mine, it's changed on his. That was working. But then he would forget to check the Google Keep list. So I made a, I got a um, magnetic whiteboard for the front of the fridge. And I made a list there that he could use. We're in the moment. He's in the kitchen. He can put it right there. And I would put what needs to come up from our freezer because with the pandemic, we're mm-hmm. buying more food and having more in the freezer and he's rotating food up and that's his job. That's one of his responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I put over there, these are the things that need to come up from the downstairs free- freezer. Totally. Totally. Totally ignore the list. Like it took us a minute, mm-hmm. but now maybe a month later it's working. Yeah. So I have to work on my frustration because it's so overwhelming and we've been so overwhelmed. And again, we go back to the conversation about how diminished we are in the pandemic at this point, our ability to be patient with one another, but it is worth it because this is one of those things that in the long run is going to benefit you as a family. And you're going to model this for your kids and they need to see dad, not just doing it, but trying and and working his way through the changes of it and being able to do that together is the greatest thing they will see you do. It isn't impossible. I think it really is crucial that we make a decision. You know, it's the things like before summer gets here, decide now that dad is going to start now researching summer camps Mm -hmm. because moms always do that crap. (laughs) Let dad do right Mm -hmm. So look at the things that you always do that you don't have to do, but Mm -hmm. start now and say, okay, by June, of course, you got to start registering next week for summer camps. I know that, but yeah, look ahead and go, okay, what's happening in 4th of July? What are we doing? You decide and you decide who's, you decide what it's going to look like, Mm -hmm. what we're going to do. See what happens. Let dad have free reign to do it. And it's not going to look like you did it, but at least you're not having to do it. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we let go of our perfectionism around it, our need for it to be a certain way. There's so much of that that inhibits it because I'm the person who's like, it's, it's easier for me to just freaking do it than wait for you to do it. Right. And I have to, I've had to learn to go just do it. I don't have the energy anymore to fight about whether what it looks like or whether it's yes. good. It just has to get done and I'm not doing it. Yes. And I'm not Which making your doctor's difficult. appointments for yeah. you either. <laughs> and that can be difficult for us to, you know, mm-hmm. let go of the control too. Absolutely. That's part of why we do it all. Yeah, it is. Because I mean, we, for sure. Like you said, this is why the emotional labor is such an important part of this conversation because we're holding it all in our heads and the dads aren't doing that. They're not, they're waiting for us to tell them. So they're not holding it all in their heads. They're not balancing it out and thinking about it all the time before they even take action on it. We're doing that. And there comes the point where we're like, how do I get that to go over to his brain? I can't. So I'm just going to do it all. Mm -hmm. And that's the shift that we have to make in order to take it off our plate. It really has to go off our plate. And if we're not willing to let it be, however it is, we will keep taking it back every time. And then we can't blame them for that. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So that's where it really can work. And I think that's the piece that plays a huge role in our ability to see change within our families about it. Yeah, I think so too. Hey, thank you for joining us. 
Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at at selfiepodcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care. Take care.